such a joy to be with you. Um, I would say happy spring, but I feel like we are in third winter at the moment. Um, I know that this circulates every year and this has nothing to do with the message, but it just makes me giggle. So I found this graphic going around um, on social media that I feel like really accurately depicts um, Oregon. So winter, full spring, second winter, spring of deception, that was two weeks ago, and then third winter, and then T minus 14 days until mud season. So welcome. If you are new to the Pacific Northwest, that's what you're in for over these next few weeks. Um, Well, I am so excited to be continuing on in our series on Ephesians. Um, Over the past few weeks, um, we have really just been diving into this letter that Paul wrote to really set a foundation for the church in Ephesus. And what we've seen over the past few weeks is that Paul had a lot to say about our identity, who we really are. And so in week one, uh, we talked about how Paul over and over again explained that we are in Christ. That is who we are individually. Our identity is rooted in Christ, in the person of Christ. But then in week two, we continued on And we saw that our identity doesn't actually just stop with us, that when we have this new identity in Christ, we actually get to join a new family. And that family is called the church. And so our relationship with this new family, it's defined by Jesus, but it is so important to our relationship with God because he designed us, he created us to live in community with one another. And then last week, Pastor Gareth talked about what it means to now live in a new humanity. So there's our identity, then there's our identity um, as a church, but then what does it look like to really be a part of ushering in a new humanity that was designed by God? And he really set up our conversation today really well um, in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, I don't know about you, but all this talk about new, it's pretty exciting, right? I think we can all look around We can see brokenness, we can see hurt. And so, yeah, like I'm excited about this new humanity, maybe without the humanity part, right? Many of us have experienced brokenness. We've experienced this pain because of relationships with others. Now we're on board with this whole new way of living, but could that kind of just be my own thing? Like, could that just be between me and Jesus? I'm kind of peopled out. But this is a reminder that the world that we live in, the world that we see, it was not the way that God intended it to be. And he is in the business of redeeming what man and sin have broken. And it gives us a reason to find hope in our new identity in Jesus. And not just in our own lives, in our personal relationship with Jesus, but in our communities, in our families, and in our relationships. And now this is great, right? We've talked about it over the last few weeks, but what does this look like practically, right? Like how do I live out this new humanity on a random Tuesday in the middle of crazy schedules going from one place to another, being pulled in a million directions? If we're truly living in this new identity, in this new humanity, shouldn't our lives look different now? 
Not just someday, not just a ticket out of hell, right? Shouldn't our salvation make our lives look different today? Well, Paul addresses what this should look like in just one sentence. Then you guys can go to lunch, just kidding. Um, But he addresses it with one sentence and it's Ephesians 5.21, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what we're going to find today is that this was an incredibly counter-cultural command, both in Paul's day and in our culture today. And we're going to see how this is the key to living out this new identity within our relationships. So if you have a Bible with you, a Bible app on your phone, Um, You can follow along. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter five. Um, But to really best understand this, I want us to do a couple things. I want us to zoom out and I want us to look at Ephesians as a whole, okay? I want us to see, okay, where are we in this letter so that we can really understand what Paul's trying to say. And then what I want us to do is I want us to look at the culture and the context and the time that Paul was writing in. Because when we do that, we really get to see how rich and beautiful the words that he was writing truly are. To quote Brett Byerly, who's one of our student ministry volunteers, he's the one um, in with the middle schoolers this morning, so you can you know, say a prayer for him. Um, but he said this the other week, and it just really stuck with me. He said, this letter was written for us, but it wasn't written to us right? We have to understand Paul absolutely was used by God to speak prophetically to the global church, both in his day and for us today. But also at the same time, we're reading someone else's mail, right? And so we have to understand the people and the time that Paul was writing in. So let's go ahead and let's just look at Ephesians as a whole and let's kind of see, okay, where we're going to be hanging out today, where does that fall in the letter? So what we remember is that this was written as one long letter, right? So when Paul wrote this, he didn't write chapter numbers. He didn't put verse numbers. He didn't have little section breaks with headers, right? It was one long letter that was read aloud in a church service. And so what we see is that now that we have split up this letter into six different chapters, In the first three chapters or the first half of the letter, we see Paul addressing who we are, right? This is what we've talked about these past few weeks, who you are in Christ. And so then the second half of the chapter, the second half of the letter, excuse me, is okay, now how do we live this out? In Ephesians 4.1, which is kind of the middle of the letter, there's this key word, that shows, hey, we're about to shift our focus here. And it's the word, therefore. So basically you take everything that you've learned in chapters one through three, everything about who you are, that you are in Christ, that you are forgiven, you are welcomed into God's family, you have a new identity. And because of all of this, therefore, here's how you're going to live it out. In Ephesians 4.1, let's read the whole verse. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Now here's what we need to realize as we jump into our conversation today. God always moves first. God calls us, now we get to live out our calling. God forgives us, now we can forgive. God loves us, now we can show his love. 
And there's a temptation in conversations like this for us to get out our notebooks and to create a little scoring rubric, right? Okay, how well am I doing? How many boxes do I have to check so that I can feel good about my standing with Jesus? That's not the point of what Paul is trying to say, right? What he's saying is no, God transformed your life. And so now here is an invitation of how to live out that transformation, not the other way around. Not here's a list of rules. Here's a list of standards you have to live up to. Hope you can do it good enough to earn this new life in Christ. No, it's the opposite. Because you are in Christ, now you can live transformed. So we've looked at the letter of Ephesians, right? Now we're going to come over here. We're going to zoom out and we're going to look at the culture Paul was writing to. And what we're going to see today is that Paul is going to address three specific relationships and give us really practical ways that we can live out this new identity. And those relationships are husbands and wives, parents and kids and masters and slaves. And here's the thing about these passages is that they can be really tempting to kind of skip over, right? Maybe you're not in one of those stages of life. It kind of talks about slavery, which is something that a lot of us don't really have personal experience. Can this really relate to what I am walking through right now? But what we'll find is that Paul is continually pointing back to that key command that we talked about a minute ago, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Regardless of your status as married, single, parent, child, that command applies to every relationship. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it might be interesting that this master and slave relationship is talked about alongside family relationships and like our work and our family, they seem kind of separate to us today. But during this time period, your work and your family, that was considered your home, those two together. So that's why Paul really addresses these relationships all together. And so what we see is that scholars in this day related households to small cities. And so the way that Rome was set up is that the power dynamics of Rome as a whole really should be mirrored within the household. And so what you'll see in this image um, is that the emperor or the ruler had all of the power concentrated at the top, right? And then as you go down, the majority of people really had little to no power. Well, in the family, in the household, you would replace the ruler with the patriarch or the male head of a family. And household codes at this time stated that a man had economic and legal ownership of everyone in his household, including his wife, his kids, and his slaves. The people who were living in the households of the families that Paul is writing to, the people were considered property not necessarily people to be valued. So can you see how language like submit to one another is going directly in the face of the culture that Paul is writing to? He's showing that God's humanity, God's way, it's not like the world. And so what we see is rather than having a triangle where the patriarch is at the top, with all of the power and it goes down, 
what God is inviting us into is this new humanity where everyone in the household submits to one another, but it's centered around Jesus, right? And what we see is rather than one person having more power over another, we follow the example of Christ by putting others first. And if we look at our world today, if we're really honest, how often do we try to put ourselves at the top of this triangle? How often do we try to look out for our best interests rather than living in this circle where Jesus is the center and we are constantly looking for ways that we can serve and submit and look out for the best interests of others. This all goes back to what Jesus said in John 15. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now we've already established this morning that we live in a broken world. Things aren't the way that God would intend, right? And so as we look at these practical examples, as we really dive into these relationships, I just wanna say, and I think it's really important to remember that when we talk about submitting to others, we are not saying that you should stay in an unsafe situation in any kind of relationship. Mutual submission is a reflection of the love of God and it is not a pass for hurt or abuse. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to really dive into these three relationships and we're going to see, okay, what does Paul have for us today in 2023 and how can we practically submit to others? And the first relationship he addresses is marriage. And Paul points husbands and wives back to the example of Jesus. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now remember, Roman culture would tell a man that he doesn't have to love his wife, let alone as much as he loves himself. However, Paul is stating in this new humanity, husbands and wives submit to one another. It's not now, okay, like now wives are better and husbands need to submit to them. No, we're done with the triangle, remember? It's all about wives and husbands submitting to each other elevating each other, serving each other, looking out for each other's best interest while submitting to Christ. That is the key in all of this. It all comes out of submitting to Christ. And because of that, now we can serve each other. And in doing this, we get to mirror, remember not perfectly, right? But we get to mirror God's love for his church through the sacrifice of his son. And what we see is that Paul is not putting the burden on one person more than the other, right? Husbands and wives, they have an equal responsibility in this. So for those of us in the room that are married, can I challenge you this week to invite the Holy Spirit to show you how can you serve your spouse this week? This might mean praying for them. 
This might mean asking God, asking the Holy Spirit, how can I show love to my spouse this week in a way that maybe I'm not right now? It could be as simple as doing a chore for them that you know that they like don't really love. For me, it's dishes, you know, Spencer, if you wanna take notes, uh, you know. Or maybe it's giving them a word of encouragement. Maybe it's, um, it's actually going to God and it's asking him, help to examine my heart. Am I really inviting you to be the center of this relationship? Or are we constantly just looking for ways to elevate ourselves? Both of you going together to God and saying, God, be the center of this relationship. Show us how we can submit to each other out of reverence for you. So the next relationship that Paul addresses is the one between parents and kids. And as someone who spends a lot of time with young people, um, can I just tell you something pretty cool? So this section is four verses and three of them, Paul directly addresses kids. And I, over and over again, we see that children matter in the kingdom of God. Paul doesn't just talk around kids. He knew that there would be kids present in this room, but he doesn't just talk around them. He doesn't just directly address parents. No, he gives them responsibility. He talks directly to them. And so Ephesians 6, one through three, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Now, something that's really interesting is that again, we see Paul take an instruction, obey your parents and root it in your identity in Christ, right? He reminds us that we do this because you belong to the Lord. So again and again, he is reminding us, this is the overflow of a transformed life. And as children, we honor our parents because hopefully we trust that they are doing this as well. They are honoring their children. They are going to God and they are asking, God, how can I look out for the best interest of my child? But when kids are really young, they don't really understand this, right? They don't get that parents are looking out for their best interest. One of my absolute favorite things on the internet um, is pictures of toddlers crying and parents sharing why their kids are crying. So I collected a few of my favorites um, and I'll share them with you. Um, so this first one, I wouldn't let her eat Lysol wipes for dinner. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you know, she just really wanted to make sure she was clean. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. Um, I wouldn't let him eat the rest of the football. Yep. Um, and then this last one is actually my personal favorite. Um, oh, I won't let her wear dirty underwear as a hat. Okay, this one. So this is actually one of my cousin's kids. Um, she posts a ton of these. Um, and so this is Caroline and she is crying because you can't have just carbs for dinner. And you know, I feel that in my twenties, like I'm so sorry, Caroline, that you are welcomed into this sad reality. Um, but as we get older, it becomes more clear that our parents are looking out for us. They're teaching us how to live. They're wanting to keep us safe. And so kids in the room, especially those of you who still live with your parents, can you think of a time, I won't make you raise your hand, can you think of a time where your parents asked you to do something and you kind of just like fought them on it? 
Like you were like, no, I don't really wanna do that. Uh, For me growing up, uh, my mom is here so she can attest to this. I really hated cleaning my room. Like just couldn't do it. Organizing, cleaning, it just was, I, it's still not my thing. And she would say, okay, you can't do X, Y, Z until your room is clean. And I would just drag it out like all day. Like I would come across a book while I was cleaning and I'd be like, oh, I haven't read this in a while. I'd read it. I'd find a CD. I'd just listen to it. Like I just, it just would drag out all day. But as soon as my room was clean, I felt better. I was like, oh, everything's where it's supposed to be. I can actually focus on my homework now. Like, this is great. Here's the thing. My mom knew that I would feel better if I just did it, but I wouldn't listen to her, right? Because I wanted to do things my own way. So, so kids, what could it look like for you to respect your parents because you know and you trust that God has placed them in your life for a reason? Now, parents, it's your turn. You make up the other half of this circle. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul writes, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, when we think about raising and discipling our kids, I think a question that we really have to ask ourselves is what is my biggest priority for my kids? What is my goal for their life? A recent survey from Pew Research Center showed that almost 90% of parents listed financial independence as their highest priority for their kids, followed closely by them doing a job they enjoy. Now, those are really great goals. There's nothing wrong with that. But as followers of Jesus, Those of us who are saying we are stepping into this new humanity, we are living this transformed life. I think we need to ask ourselves, what should our biggest priority be for our kids? Paul says that our instruction for our kids should come from the Lord, not from worldly standards. So parents, can I just encourage you, the way that you talk about your faith will have the biggest impact on the way that your kids view their faith as they grow up. The way that you interact with the word of God, the way that you live out your faith on a day-to-day basis, that will have the biggest impact on the way that your kids live their life. I love this quote from David McElmore. He says, you can't make your children Christians, but you can make it easy to love Jesus in your home. Are you sharing your faith with your kids? Are you praying with them? Are you praying for them? Are you teaching them how to have their foundation be the word of God? Are you reminding them that their identity is in Jesus, not in things of this world? Can I encourage you? Your kids having good morals does not equal them having a relationship with Jesus. So as a parent, as you continue to grow in your faith, as you continue to seek God, the best thing that you can do for your kids is to bring them along with you, to share how you're growing, to share the things that you're learning. And as they get older, ask questions, be curious about how they view the world, about how they're interacting with their faith. Teach them how to set that foundation on the word of God. Remind them who they are in Christ. And so what can this look like this week, both for kids and for parents? 
Again, if you're a kid and you're living at home with your parents right now, how can you honor and obey your parents knowing that God has placed them in your life? Or if you're a child who has moved out of your parents' home and you are living a bit more independently, how can you still take this command to heart? How can you continue to honor your parents? Can you thank them for the impact that they've made on your life? Is there a past hurt that you maybe need to forgive? Is there an encouragement you can give them? How can you ask God to reveal to you how you can continue to honor your parents because God has placed them in your life? And as a parent, how can you focus on making it easy to love Jesus in your home? How can you acknowledge the unique person that God has created your child to be and go to him and ask for wisdom on how to disciple them? Now, the last relationship that Paul addresses is the one between slaves and masters in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Now, Paul addresses this because slavery in Rome was super common. Like 20 to 30% of people were in slavery during this time. So there were likely many people who were listening to this letter who were slaves during this time period. Now, most of them were either prisoners of war or were sold due to an unpaid debt. So it was super common for someone to be like your peer and your neighbor one day and then a slave the next And so in these traditional relationships between slaves and masters, the master had complete control over how he treated his slaves and there was little to no legal consequences for their actions. So while women and children were treated or considered property, slaves actually were property. And so let's see what Paul has to say both to slaves and to masters as he points back to the commandment that we are submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. So Ephesians 6, five through nine, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So what is Paul's guidance? It's the same that it has been this whole time. Focus on Jesus. Slaves, don't just work to gain the approval of your master. Do everything as though you are working for Christ who has transformed your life. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. This is completely countercultural. It is raising the bar. It is saying in God's new humanity, there is a higher standard. You are to treat your slaves as though they are people to be valued, created in the image of God, just like you and just like me. Even in this relationship, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul demonstrates this really well in another letter that he wrote um, to a leader named Philemon. 
And so I'm going to read um, from the letter of Philemon because in prison, Paul had met one of Philemon's slaves named Onesimus. And he wrote this, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Do you hear that language? Would you accept him back as better than a slave, as a brother in Christ? And something else that is super cool about this is that you notice that Paul doesn't even act superior to Philemon. Instead, he appeals on the basis of love. He is living out his words. He is living out this new humanity where we submit to one another, not out of fear, not because of cultural norms, but because of the love of Christ. You see, when we decide to follow Jesus, things are different, not just in our own lives, but in our relationships with others. Wives and children and slaves, they're no longer considered property. They are brothers and sisters. Welcome into the family of God. And this has always been the way that God has intended relationships to be. But because of sin, because of the need for power, the need to feel justified, to feel better than someone else, these relationships have been broken. It created a triangle where only one person could be at the top. But Jesus is calling us back to the way that things ought to be, to redeem what is broken, to set right what is wrong, where we serve, love, and submit to one another. And I think that it's so important to remember that earthly status does not equal heavenly status. Just because you're a master on earth or a slave or a wife or a husband, that status doesn't matter in heaven. But how we use our earthly status does matter. Just like husbands, wives, parents, children, slaves, and masters, Paul addresses here, we also each have a status. We're mothers, we're fathers, we're aunts, uncles, we're friends, we're employees, we're bosses, we're classmates. And how we use this earthly status, it matters. Are we using it for our own gain or are we submitting to others? Are we looking out for others' best interests? Are we sacrificing like Jesus did for us. In our lives, in our relationships, are we making a triangle or are we living in that circle? Look how Jesus used his earthly influence. Jesus elevates children. He speaks to women. He submits to the father. He looked for ways to take the culture and turn it upside down, not just in his words, 
but also in his actions and the way he lived his life. Philippians 2, six through seven, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So going back to the question we asked at the beginning, how do we live out this new humanity? How do we bring the gospel home? We follow the example of Jesus as we live in relationship with others. We submit to one another. We pray for one another. We honor each other. We put off past hurts and we put on forgiveness. We put off the need to be right and we put on patience. We put off the expectations of this world and we put on the desire to know Jesus. So whatever stage of life you find yourself in, you are surrounded by people every single day who desperately need to know and experience the love of Jesus. So live in a way that shows that love with your words, with your actions and how you treat others. We're going to close our time together this morning um, with a song called Jesus at the Center. And my hope this morning is that we can just use this time as a prayer to pray, God, be at the center of this. Be at the center of my life. Be at the center of my marriage. Be at the center of my family. Be at the center of how I walk through the school halls. Be at the center of how I talk to my coworkers. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be at the center of your life. Or maybe it's been a long time since you have recentered your life and your heart on him. Can I just invite you this morning to rest in the truth that he wants that relationship with you. He wants to be the center of your life, not because he's disappointed in you, not because he's judging you, but because he truly wants to share his love for you to experience. Or maybe you're here this morning and as we've been talking, there's been an area of your life that kind of keeps popping into your mind, an area that you really need Jesus to be the center of. Wherever you're at this morning, can I just invite you, use this time to connect with God. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, where do you need Jesus to be the center? God, we thank you so much for your truth, for your word, for your love. God, we thank you for the opportunity, for the privilege that we have to get to live out this new humanity, this new identity that you have graciously given us. God, over these next few minutes, over this week, God, would you just bring to mind a relationship that needs a little bit more of you? God, would you be the center of every relationship, every interaction that we have? God, would we, we recognize that you want to bring this new humanity to earth and God, we get to be a part of that. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives, in the life of this church. We thank you, we praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen.